I want to pray. Worship team, you did an incredible job. You guys, y'all, you guys led worship right into the way of the word today. But I want to pray. And I want to pray that we don't lose what we built up in worship, that it doesn't wane at all. That we are going to incline our hearts to the Lord. We're going to keep doing what the Lord's put in front of us. This word that we have today has moved all three of us, and we can't wait to share it with you. We want to see you engaged. Amen. So let's lift our hands to heaven right now, and let's do it. Mighty God, it is our great joy, Lord, to be face to face with the King. It is our great joy, Lord, Lord, that we get to come close to you, God, that we get to hit your heart in what you've called us to hit. Lord, we're asking right now in this moment, Lord, Lord, that we don't lose sight and we don't lose vision. Right now in this moment, Lord, Lord, that we say the very words of heaven be stirred up right now. Lord, the very things that need to be broken off be broken off because of this message today, God. Lord, that we stand in righteousness and we stand as one, God. We want to see your kingdom move. We want to be moving with full access in this place, Lord. We want to be completely unhindered, and we will be in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Family, are y'all stirred? Are y'all moved? Did that worship service and those words of prophecy from the Lord, did they move you? Our God is serious. Hey, this is an encouraging message. And our God is serious about you reflecting him. And that's what we're going to have tonight. Shut up. So tonight, tonight is November 17th, two days before the Rosales wedding. It's happening. We are excited to get to share the stage. I'm excited to get to share the stage with these men. I, I love these brothers. They, they strengthen me like nobody's business. But you know what else? I am excited and I am honored that I get to share life with you. Yeah. I get to share light, life with the saints of the living God who are reflecting his glory. Amen. First scripture tonight is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 40. There are heavenly bodies. I ain't waiting for you. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. It's a fact. It's true. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another kind. Both glorious, both full of the Lord's glory and the Lord's design. But the one of the heavenly pattern is so much better. LCM, you have a form of glory. You have a form of godliness that does not deny his power, but his power is flowing through you and it is being seen by the actions in your life. You have a form of glory. But what's happening tonight is that the Lord, by his resurrection power, he is moving us from one form of glory, from one level of glory to another. That's what you're in for tonight. You ready for that? Even if you're not, you're here. Our pastors laid out a solution this past Sunday for the cancer of I can't, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it, in fact, that we're going to cover a few of those points because we need to hear it again so that we put it into practice. Yeah. Cancer that always grows into something bigger is the cancer of I can't. It starts with I can't, you can't, and ultimately he can't. But you know what? We have the cure. 
We have exactly what we need to clear the cloudy vision and give us perspective and, and the eyes of heaven. He has given us vision, LCM. The cure for the cancer of I can't or I'm not able was found in Psalm 86, and we're going to go back there. Come on. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of David. You are getting, a, getting a, a snippet, a picture into this man's interaction with the living God, and it is blessing us to this day. We were moved by some of the key elements in the passage, and we know, we know that the Father wants us to start this message right where we left off on Sunday. Come on. Okay, LCM, are you ready? Yeah. Man. Psalms 86, verse 2. This is a prayer of David. Okay? This is not just a random scripture. David is praying. And in verse 2 it says, preserve. We're going to do ESV. All scriptures, except when it would tell you so. Uh, verse 2 it says, preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Man, David comes with a boldness that is, that is kind of crazy. He's coming, before his, he's saying like, I, hey, I am here, hear my voice, hear my cry, hear my supplication. And his answer or his reasoning for why God should hear him, he says, I am godly. Hmm. This is not him being arrogant, irreverent, or insolent. David would be arrogant, irreverent, and insolent if he was just a servant that is approaching his master. Somebody who he barely knows, right? He's just a servant, and God is just his master, and he's approaching him like that. That would be irreverent, yeah. right? But he's not. He demonstrates a boldness that only a son who knows his father and is known by his father can actually demonstrate. Yeah. We don't know exactly at which point David wrote this story. I mean, this, this uh, prayer. But what we do know is that David is not talking to a stranger. Yeah. He is not petitioning something from simp a simple acquaintance. Somebody that he just met. And it's like, hey, yeah, hear me. No, he's not doing that. He's coming to one that he knows. Yeah. David has no performance anxiety. Say, no performance anxiety. No performance anxiety. As if he was trying to please a master. David is engaging with his dear and near Abba Father. David is engaging with the Abba that has delivered him from lions, from bears, from giants, and from enemies. Oh the Abba who anointed him and stood by him when nobody thought he was worth anything. Nobody thought he was worth having any authority, dominion. But his Abba said, no, this is the one I've chosen. This is the Abba. The Abba who was fully aware of his weaknesses before even David was aware of them. You know, David sinned in ways that he probably never thought he would. I think, I think he never saw it coming. But God was. He knew him exactly. He knew his weaknesses. He knew every part of David. This is the Abba that David is approaching. So in that state in which David finally realizes how weak he is and the sin that came out of him, his Abba was faithful to thoroughly Cleanse him from sin. Create in David a new heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within him. Do not cast David away from his presence. But in, 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 uh, instead to continue to uphold him. Man, he restored David's joy of salvation. From a 
wicked, pitiful state of sin that David never thought he would find himself in. Come on. Abba, his Abba, restored him all the way until he had joy of salvation. And having been fully restored of all these failures, David was one that would fully devote himself to teach transgressors his ways. You can find all this in Psalm 51. This is exactly what David is saying. So restore me, build me up, restore the joy of my salvation that I would teach transgressors your way. What you're seeing here in David is that David is engaging with a very near and very dear Abba Father to him. The one that has sustained him, but that doesn't prevent him from coming and saying, Hey, I am godly. I, you have made me who I am, and I'm coming to you with full boldness because I have access to you. Amen? Amen? Guys, from glory to glory, that's what the Lord's doing. David, he's not about being falsely humble. He's not into devaluing himself. Incredibly, actually, David's not even reasoning whether what he should say about himself or what he should, what will my father think about this? Should, should I say I'm godly, Spencer? Or <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do my brothers think about what I'm saying? Yeah. Lord, I don't want to come across as someone that, as something that I'm not. No, not at all. No, David is completely secure. Completely. He's entirely confident. He is confident because he knows he's a son of the Most High. David has no qualms about saying, I am godly. None at all. But why? It's because of his Abba Father. Lord, you, you are our God. Lord, I will never depart from you because you have the words of eternal life. You are my God. And there is no one else like you. You are the one who I run to. Man. But not only is David confident that God is his father, he's not just confident in that. He's also confident that he is his son. The father is God, and I am his son, therefore I am godly. Look, David is sure, and there is a surety, and there is an attitude that says, my father, he has given me a new birth. My father, he has made me who I am today. My father... I'm not going to start disputing the good work that you have done in my life because I trust you and I trust what you say about me. I am godly. Hey, say it with us. I, I am, am godly. godly. Say it again. Come on. Church, we're not just talking about David. And that's what we got to get here. Everything that Spencer just said, it applies to you. It applies to you. Same kind of flaws, same kind of weaknesses, but same origin, same, same origin of creation. You come from the Father. Therefore, therefore, you are a son. And if he is making you like him, then you are godly. We're going to get this today. We're going from one level of glory to another. By saying, I am godly. David is not ignoring the weaknesses that are in his flesh. Can you say amen to that? Amen. He is not ignoring the issues. One is just of, of higher priority than the other. And one is changing the other. What he is doing is simply giving the proper weight and, rev and rev relevance to his identity. David is not ignoring either reality. But he is giving total and absolute priority to the work 
of the spirit of the father in his life. And that's what we want to do tonight. I am godly, but still dealing with sin and being sanctified. And I am not a sinner striving to be righteous. I am not earning anything. I am learning to walk in the full revelation that I am godly, therefore I live godly. So what does it say when we struggle to see ourselves as godly? It says that we are more acquainted with the physical, the tangible, and the fleshly nature of the old man. We are more acquainted with, more focused on, and driven by what we can see, the tangible, the physical, rather than the invisible God and the new, invisible, and real nature. Not invisible nature, the real nature. What you cannot see is actually more real, more realistic than what you can see. And that is a pattern plainly laid out in Scripture, and it's going to be laid out in our lives. We're going to look at what cannot be seen and say that is so much more uh, real than what we can see. Amen? Amen? This dilemma and this battle between these very real natures is why David also prays verse 11. Go with us to verse 11. I'm reading this in the, in the ESV. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Why does David ask this of his father? Because there is a war between these two natures, and David is not content with the natural nature overcoming the real nature. The heart tends to be divided. The heart tends to doubt. But I know, you know, that we can go to the Father and the Abba Father will unite your heart just like it did David. Today we're going to awaken ourselves to the access that we have to our invisible God. As a matter of fact, the title of tonight's message is Full Access. Yeah. We're going to awaken, we're going to experience, we're going to realize, we're going to lay hands on the full access that we have in the Father. We will come to him. We will come to him undivided, wholehearted, as the the brother said in worship. We have been meditating on the story of the father who brought his demon-possessed son to Yeshua, the one that we covered on Sunday, and his disciples. And this is where we're going next. We're going to find the keys That will unite our hearts and give us single minds, single hearts, and not doubt, but have confident steps into the direction of our crucified Messiah. Come on. Are you with us today? Were you inspired by the fact that we are focusing on the spiritual, real, the reality that's within us about being godly? And how we're actually driving out what says that we are not. We're not focusing on us being sinners striving for righteousness. We're focusing on the work, the reality of God inside of us today. Now, we've been meditating on a story, right? Is that story of the boy that was demon-possessed and the father comes to Yeshua, right? For his healing. The story is found in Mark 9, Luke 9, and Matthew 17. However, Luke gives us the better of, uh, of the chronological sequence to know about the context that's going on in this story, okay? So we know that at the beginning of Luke 9, it says that the 12 disciples are given power and authority to proclaim the kingdom of God. Power and authority, why? Because you can't proclaim the kingdom of God without power and authority. 
Because it's not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. So this was, was, was given to them. And not only that, then Yeshua sends him off. And when he sends him off, it happens that they start actually preaching the gospel and doing exactly what Jesus said would happen. Yeah. They start healing the sick. They start casting out demons. They bring the kingdom with power. And they're amazed that this is what's happening at them. I mean, the, Jesus said, hey, go, go with power and authority, and this is manifesting itself. And they're excited. This is what's happening. They, they were given power and authority, and they have experienced what that looks like. They have actually proven that Yeshua's words are true. That this is coming to pass. If he said so, if he said that you had something, and you go and you do it, then it manifests itself. This is what they're experiencing. Not only that, after they return from preaching with power, they're faced with the challenge of having to give 5,000 people something to eat. Mm -hmm. All right? Of course, this is not something that they've faced before. I mean, it's like... What do you mean give 5,000 people something to eat with five loaves and, you know, to fish? Well, Yeshua then teaches them how to do it. Yeah. Yeshua shows them that it is by faith, giving thanks, you multiply what is given to you. Yeah. Right? Then we come to the event where Peter confesses by revelation of the Father that you are the Son of the living God, the Messiah. A revelation from the Father. And Yeshua says, hey... The keys of the kingdom of heaven I give to you. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you release on earth shall be released in heaven. This is authority and power that Jesus is further extending, further proclaiming, further saying that they have as a church, as a people. And then Yeshua goes to a mountain to pray. And Luke says that he goes to a mountain to pray and he takes three disciples. And he's transfigured. I mean, who would have guessed? What a... What a, lame, what a lame event, right? Transfigured into the fullness of glory. Father of glory. Father of glory, yes. And it is coming down from this mountain that Yeshua and his three disciples see a crowd of people, all right? And, and they're discussing, they're having some tension with some, some scribes about the fact that these other disciples were not able to cast out the demon. This is the context. The supernatural has happened. They have experienced. They have put that authority and power into practice. They have seen miracles. And they're coming to a place where, for some reason, it's not happening anymore. So we pick up where the father tells Yeshua that his disciples were not able to heal the boy, right? This is Luke 9, 19. And he, Yeshua, answered them, O faithless generation." How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear you? Bring him to me. Now, Jesus doesn't sound particularly happy right now, does he? He doesn't. He seems a little frustrated, right? But his frustration is because they have been walking closely with him. Not only that, we know that at this point, he has already given them power and authority. So he knows that they can do it. He's frustrated not because they couldn't do it. He wouldn't be frustrated if they couldn't do it. His frustration is because they could. But the fact remains, they didn't. That's brass tacks. They could, but they didn't. Hey, are you engaging with this? He, He said that they had power and authority, right? But still, the fact remained that they didn't. You get that? Power and authority, access to it, but they didn't. 
Sunday, we learned the cure to our camp. Tonight, God is going to give us the solution to I didn't. It's about a solution, church. He's given us the solution tonight. The cool thing is, is that they, they didn't make up a reason for why they couldn't. Come on. They didn't say, well, oh, well, you know, he got this prayer wrong. He got this incantation wrong. That's not what they did. They did what we all should do when we're doing tonight. They went to the living word of God. Says, hey, hey, over to the side. Hey, we weren't able to do this. Why? And he lays it out for him. And he's going to lay it out for us tonight. All right, let's go to Matthew 17, verse 19. It says that, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I said to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. So like we were saying, the disciples came privately to Yeshua, right? And it's like, hey, psh, psh, master, Yeshua, come. If we have received power and authority, then how is it that we couldn't drive this demon? And Yeshua gives him the answer. Isn't it cool when Yeshua gives you an answer? Yeah. I mean, you're like, you have this doubt and you don't have to make it up. You can actually ask and get an answer. Truth. Come on. Yeshua clarifies everything for them. The ESV in other translations says, because of your little faith. Now, that word is not little faith in Greek. That word is one word and it's apistia. Okay? It comes from pistis. Pistis is faith. Apistia is the opposite of faith. Okay? We're not talking about a small amount. Why? Because Jesus says that if you had a small amount, then you could do all the things that you yeah. could. That anything is impossible. It's, it's possible. We're not talking about amounts of faith and I want more and you have less. And We're talking about if you got rid of this apistia, right? This thing that wars against our faith, this negative faith, this unbelief or disbelief, that which wars against our faith, then things would be possible. He says, this is the reason. Um, the problem, like I said, is not the amount of faith. There were The disciples, in another verse, they're asking for their faith to be increased. And Yeshua gives them the same answer. How, how many times have we thought about having our faith increased? I've prayed for more faith. I need more. I need more. More, Lord. I mean, I think it's about actually having the one that's been given to you. The it's, real one that would change. There's nothing wrong with, with needing more. If you're exerting what you already have. Yeah. Right? That, and that, that is what he's getting them to realize. You already have what you need, but he's going to show us a way to use it. And Amen. that's the point that we want to make tonight. Amen. Also, recognize that the problem is not the problem. Meaning, the problem is Say not the demon being too strong and, and you know, it's just very difficult situation. And no, that's not the problem. Yeshua responds and he says exactly what the problem is. Your apistia is the problem. The problem is the things that oppose our faith. You know something about that, right, Justin? Church, we got the solution tonight. Yeah. Y'all with me? Yeah. We got the solution tonight. But he's helping us fix that problem, get it out the way, so that we can run headlong into what he's calling us to. We have to uh, remove the, deficit, the, the, the negative faith. We got to get out of the deficit, right? And one of the things that I, as I engage with this, what can the apostia look like in my life? The Lord shows me this week, last week, whenever I'm hesitant to go to him, whenever I'm hesitant to pray about what his will is, 
Whenever I'm hesitant to ask him what to do in a situation, that is an apostia. Yeah. That is a, a faithlessness that is creating a hardness of heart to just go to the one who is good. Yeah. Go to my, my, my father who will speak to me when I call out to him. That is an apostia that is like a negative faith. And the Lord is removing it so that he can give us the genuine thing. Hey, I, I, I've seen some of that apistia in my life, particularly when I go through something like the apostles or disciples went through. Hey, you said do it, and I tried, and it did not happen. Yeah. You know, like, I tried, it didn't happen before, so I'm really not going to try again. You know, like, I know that you said that, but I already tried. And that apistia, that opposite of faith, that disbelief, just starts to creep in, and, and, and before you know it, you're just taking steps back instead of forward. Where, where Yeshua said, do this, and I will be with you, and nothing would be impossible. I start doubting and fearing and, and, and not knowing whether it's actually going to happen, because I tried before, and it did not happen. How about whenever we're, we're, go- we're coming to Him, and, uh, and there's just a lack of conviction, meaning... We may have a conviction about God's power, right? We can say, hey, God is almighty, powerful. He created the heavens and earth. I don't doubt that, right? But then the, the doubt starts creeping in whenever you're talking about his character. You, do you truly believe how good, how compassionate, how perfect, how all-knowing he is? Well, whenever, whenever I am in a situation where I am facing something that doesn't look very good, how quickly do I really ascribe to him the goodness and move in faith and move in that conviction as opposed to doubting his goodness, doubting his character? How about his will, a conviction about his will? You know, it's very hard to pray for something that you don't have a conviction about. Like, yeah, I know uh, I'm supposed to pray for that, but I don't know if it's his will. Or you may pray like I prayed before. It's like, um, Father, if it be thy will, then do it. It's like, what is that? I mean, there's no faith in that. There's cowardice. It's like you haven't taken a stand. There's no conviction at all about what the Father's will is. How are we going to pray? But this this is the one that catches most of us, okay? A conviction that the Father is actually willing to move through us. Yeah. Because you can have conviction about his power. Yeah, he's powerful. He's good. He's good. Oh, maybe I know exactly his will. But somebody else will do that will, not me. Why? That's just Carlos. Yeah, I I can make all kinds of excuses of why not through me and yes, through somebody else. But in order for him to move, there has to be a conviction about all these things. Particularly about the fact that you are godly, that I am godly, and that he's willing, wanting, desiring to move through us. Come on. Man, things that are warring against our faith. You know, I'm thinking about when I look at men like our pastors, incredible men, elders, incredible men of God, and I see their success and I see their favor on their life and I compare myself by what they have, that I'm valuing myself by how they walk. Like, how do I, how do I compare with them? These are things warring in my own faith, gauging my own success by my own deeds, gauging my own success about what I see my brothers doing. How about faithless actions, relying on our own strength, just day to day? I mean, let's get a real, 
understanding of that. I mean, how many deeds, if I go through out of my day, the Lord, you didn't really direct. I just thought this was best. Yeah. These are things warring against my faith, and it's apostia. It is warring against what God has called me to do. So, aren't you glad we found the problem? I mean, yeah. it is really hard to solve something unless you know what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. Y'all breathe. Yeah. Take, yeah. take a deep breath. Don't, don't cry. These are the things that have been warring against our faith, but we told you that we would give you the solution. Okay? The disciples could, but they didn't. So what is the solution? Yeshua's answer to the disciples' question comes in, with another key. Let's go to Mark 9, verse 29. Come on, guys. Mark 9, 29. Say full access when you get there. Come on, baby. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Nothing else? But prayer. Oh. Anything but prayer. Look, Yeshua, Jesus, he didn't go on a six-month six sabbatical. He didn't go to a guru stage to try to figure out how to pray, you know, what would allow him to do the things that he did. He didn't do that. Also, Jesus, he, he neither fasted nor prayed during this event. The word says that he rebuked the demon. Jesus' solution to the problem of apostia, what's warring against his faith, was a lifestyle of prayer. Say lifestyle of prayer. Lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of prayer. The way to instill faith in our hearts and drive out the things that war against our faith is a lifestyle of of prayer continually. But it's not like prayer where, we, where we're just praying at a ceiling and, and it, we hope that it goes across. It's not that kind of prayer. We're talking about praying like Jesus prayed. Praying like our big brother prayed. Let's turn to Luke 3 verse 21. We're going we to learn about praying how Jesus prayed tonight. Luke 21, starting in verse 22. Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened. Have y'all read that before? I, when I, usually when I hear that, I think he's getting baptized, and you know how they, how they do it in the movies. He's coming out of the water, a water, and the heavens open, and the Lord speaks to him, right? It says, as he was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Church, this is a result of him not just saying words. This is a result of him knowing how to access the halls of heaven, how to grab the ear of his father and pray to him. And as a result, he hears his father say, you are my son. Now, Jesus knew he was a son, right? He knew who he was and he knew what he came to do. But through accessing the heavens, through, through going to that full access... He got to hear it. And not only him, but the people around him. That is what we're talking about tonight. That is the style of prayer that he is teaching his disciples. Before this event, he was already the beloved son, right? It was while he was praying that this was revealed. There is nothing, I say nothing, that can replace this kind of attitude. When we're having, you know, one of those awesome days, or not so awesome days, actually, where we feel defeated and not godly. If our identity is in question and we just don't feel it or see it. If I am losing grasp 
on who I am in the Father's sight. You know what cannot be replaced in that moment? A lifestyle, an attitude of going to the Father, accessing what is available to me, and receiving the truth. Receiving the attestation that I am a son of God, and I am godly. I am filled with power for this very moment. That is what we need. That is what he has given us. It is not our words that declare it. I have prayed faithless prayers. I have prayed prayers like really God wasn't hearing me. That's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what the scripture shows us. That's not what Jesus taught his disciples. What he taught them was to access what was available to him. He taught them that, hey, your father is listening to you. And when you call out to him, he will speak to you. That is what we need tonight. Let's turn to Luke 9. Come on. So it's interesting, but as much as we got you to say I am godly, it is not your words of declaration that make you godly. It is the Father saying who you are. And our brother's point here is that you hear who you truly are in prayer. That is when Yeshua had his attestation of who he was. He already knew who he was. That was not in question. But just like all of us here are sons and that's not in question. But we need to hear that. When we hear that from him, there is a new faith that rises within us. I, it, it changes everything. I can go through a wall when he says that I can. When he's spoken that to me. Luke 9 verse 28. It says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Now, I don't know if you've seen this before, but the transfiguration event is not a place where he just went and something happened. He went and was praying and in this moment of intimacy and actually engaging with his heavenly father, his invisible heavenly father, as he's engaging with him, then something happens. You know, Yeshua was already the fullness and of the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But in this moment, it's taken further. Now his body and who he is is reflecting the glory, the exact glory physically from the father. This didn't happen in, in, in just as he was walking by. This happened as he engaged with his father in prayer. Now, if you had been one of those disciples that saw Yeshua pray in the, in the baptism and receive the Holy Spirit and have that voice speak to him. If you had been one of those disciples that sees Yeshua pray and then get transfigured. Hey, what would you say? I'm like, all right, hold on a second. Like, how, how is it that you pray? I mean, I need to know the, the key to this recipe because that's not how my prayer life looks like. And, and that's exactly what the apostles did. Let's go to Luke 11, verse 1. Come on, guys. Full access. Hey, we're at the heart's cry of our message right now. Now, Jesus was praying in a, in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Lord, this is our heart's cry. Lord, teach us how to pray. 
Lord, keep us from rambling. Keep us from saying words that we don't even know what we're saying. Lord, give birth to us showing us how to pray. Teach us how to engage with our Father. Tonight, what we know the Lord is doing is he's truly showing us how to utilize prayer to access our Father. That same power that raised Jesus from the grave. Look, is that our heart's cry today? Is it our heart's cry? Lord, teach us how to pray. Look, we want the Lord to do this. The Word. The Word taught the disciples how to pray. And in the same way, the Word teaches us how to do the same thing. But, but you can't ask him with a double heart. Lord, you teach me how to pray. Look, he was teaching them how to have access through something that would change their lives forever. And we are certain that what he's doing tonight is going to do the same thing for us. We're talking about actually beholding our father. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. As you turn in there, you can turn in there, but give me your ear. Okay. Church, the disciples, they had power and authority. Our pastors made that clear on Sunday. That was not the issue. Jesus had to teach them how to access what they had. You understand that? You have what you need. You have uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. Those, those two things are infallible. But when there's a deficit or a semen deficit, what the Lord is really doing is teaching you how to access what's available to you. And that is what we're talking about with prayer. Uh, let me get a hand from uh, my ex-Catholics. Ex-Catholics, I'm not, are me and Cass? All right, cool. All right. We're not talking about a confessional. We're not talking about going to the father, going to the, the, the priest and say, hey, I did this bad thing. And he gives you 10 our fathers, six glory bees, eight Hail Marys, and then going your way. That's not the kind of prayer that we're talking about. And we want to make that clear because you can hear like, oh, yeah, I need to pray more. We're not, no, we're not saying you need to pray more. And you do, but that's not what we're saying. We're saying that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to access something, how to behold something. And when we get a hold of that in our own lives, it generates faith. It generates action. It generates us knowing our identity and walking in that. And that's what we want to make clear tonight. And that's what the Lord is doing. We said earlier, he's moving us from one level of glory to another level of glory. And this is how it's happening. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, say we all. We every all. single family in this church, not one left out. This is available to you. We all, with unveiled faces. Faces that are not hiding, faces that are not wondering if I'm a son, wondering if I can access. No, with unveiled faces, unashamed to call out. We are beholding the, the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Amen. From this, this is from the Lord who is the spirit. This is what we're talking about. When we pray like this. When we, we go before the invisible God that we cannot see and we get in his presence and we recognize that, no, he is here. I'm driving to my job this week differently. 
I'm saying, no, I'm not just driving to Waller, Texas and praying to fulfill obligation. No, Lord, I need you to speak to me. I need you to remind me what I have to do and who I am. And he is in the car with me. And that is, rat- that is ratifying and changing my faith. And that's what's available to us in prayer. So that's the kind of prayer we're talking about. The kind of prayer that transforms you, that takes you from one manner of glory to another manner of glory. Truly beholding him and engaging with him is the solution. End all, be all, every problem you have. Whether it's health issues with your wife, whether it's issues with a job, whether it's changes being made, truly engaging with him and beholding him is the solution every time. Through this, we are engaging the very real and powerful, invisible God, the God that we cannot see. And through this, he is driving that apostille away. Was it a little gut-wrenching when we were talking about that? You're like, oh, yeah, we're kind of taking a deep dive. Well, that's, that's in us, right? But through doing this, through accessing what's available to us, we drive it out. Yeah. I'm happy that you heard about it because you know what? It's being driven out, and the same is happening in you. It is in prayer that faith is exercised and developed so that we can have access to the power and authority that the Father has already bestowed upon his children, and you are those children. Remember Mark 16 states that powerful signs and authority will follow those who what? Those who believe. Come on, Rhett. We are going to learn how to access this power and authority by exercising our faith, by accessing what's available to us, through engaging with the living and invisible God. Hey, where, where would have Paul gotten the idea that with an unveiled face, when you're beholding the glory of the Lord, you become transformed into that same image? Could, Moses, how about also the transfiguration? What was Yeshua doing when he prayed? He was beholding, and in that moment, his face started shining, just like Moses. We are coming to a place where what was real for Moses, what was real for Yeshua, then Paul is saying that is real for we all who get to see him with an unveiled face. This is, this is less about the, the people of the, of the past, those of old, those who did it. This is talking about us and what is accessible for us. We have full access to this which uh, Paul is talking about. Now, 1 Timothy 1.17 this is where we're going to start engaging in the way that we know that the Father has been revealing to us how to engage, how to behold, how to go after Him. This is not a prayer of one hour and then forget about Him. We're talking about a continual abiding, a continual uh, awareness, a continual beholding, a continual uh, abiding in Him that becomes so real. And we're going to get there. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of ages, immortal, and what else? Invisible. Invisible. The only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, in Exodus 33.20, God tells Moses that no man can see his face and live. And that was a bummer for Moses because Moses was like, show me your face, Lord. And, and, but he says, no, no one can see it and live. In the Gospel of John, and in the first letter of John, it says that no one has ever seen God. So how do you behold that which is invisible? How do you behold the one that you cannot see, yet you're supposed to be looking to? 
and looking to that glory and being transformed into the same glory. We know. Say we know. We know. Oh, you know this. You know that faith is the substance of what we hope for. And the conviction of things that you cannot see. Oh, how do you approach your father? With that kind of conviction. Because yeah, you on. know that there's a substance. He's not just spirit without substance. There's a substance to him. And there's a substance to the spiritual, heavenly, invisible realm. And we're approaching him with a level of conviction that sets us apart from the entire world. Because in the entire world, to these things are foolishness. But to us, there's an actual substance and an actual conviction when we come to him. <coughs> it is through prayer. It is through actually wrestling with him and coming with, to him. You know that if I go and I kneel before, you know, people and I start praying to my God and I have atheists and logical people, they'll say I'm crazy. Well, you're talking to yourself, man. What the heck are you doing? It is through prayer that we access the reality of the invisible God and, and, the, and the world does not understand us, but we do. It is in prayer that we engage with that substance. It is in prayer that we actually come before him and something becomes real. What was invisible now becomes real to me. There's a conviction and a substance that I'm engaging with. We cannot see him, but we can grasp him. We can behold him. We can approach him. He's real and he's here for us. Faith is exercised in prayer because it is in prayer that we truly truly engage with invisible God. It is, it is in prayer where nothing else matters. I have dropped even my Bible. I have dropped what I was thinking about. I have dropped everything. And you know what I'm doing? I am now interacting with the one that I cannot see. That's faith. Yeah. And praise God for it. Yeah. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. Say full access when you get there. But there's a masculine tenacity that accompanies praying in the invisible reality. Come on. Tell, tell us about it. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Guys. What, is, what was striking us when we got together on Tuesday night is engaging the invisible reality through prayer. It, it's actually a blessing that our hardships are right in front of us, that our difficulties are right in front of us. We get to display holy, tenacious faith towards our God to who we can't see, but we know that that reality is even more real. Yeah. Look, the things of this world, they're passing away. What we can see, they're passing away. But our Lord, he's eternal. Yeah. So we're going to choose to look toward the eternal Amen. day in and day out. This is a powerful concept, guys. But we could literally take our eyes off of the physical and put our eyes on the eternal each and every day. This is the antidote and the answer. It's powerful. We're all a people acquainted with sickness, weakness, affliction, disease, sin, but even more so, we are people who are acquainted with our eternal God. Yeah, come on. The invisible reality that we get to engage with day in and day out as much times as we want to. Hallelujah. 
Faith does not give any more priority to the physical, to the tangible, to the visible of what you can see because they're perishing. They're going away. Faith only gives priority to what is real, what is spiritual, what is unseen and eternal. Guys, we have to get our eyes off of our own circumstances. We have to get our eyes off of ourselves. We have to take the stand right now with a tenacity that says, Lord, I know what your scripture says. And Lord, I know what I must do. Lord, I'm going to put my eyes on what I cannot see and engage you and trust you. Come on, brother. You know how funny that verse is that he says that we look to the things that are not seen? <laughs> yeah, you look, you behold the things which cannot be seen. That is faith. Hebrews 11.27 is a passage in the NET, please. It's a passage that contains the core of what we're saying and is moving us to action. 11.27, it says, By faith he, that is Moses, he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger. For he persevered or endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is crazy. <laughs> By faith, he did what? He left Egypt. But he didn't leave Egypt in, in just, you know, uh, just running away. He left Egypt without fear. Come on. Fear was abolished as he left Egypt, and he did so by faith. Faith drove away the fear from his life. The fear that, that, that the visible king could do something to him. Right? Because he was trusting in the invisible king. Not only that, faith empowered him to endure, or the NET is to persevere. Do not get stuck in the way. Do not start and not finish. Do not start running and sometimes slow down and, and, and become just afflicted and, and, and heavy burdened and, and, and stop at some point. No, he persevered all the way. And he persevered in a very, very special way. He persevered as though he could see the one who is invisible <laughs> faith is the ability to see faith is the ability to act as though you could really truly see him i mean this has been changing our lives why because when when i'm walking through life when i'm going to work when i'm going to my family when i'm facing trials whatever it is even good things faith is the ability not to believe Faith is the ability to act as though you could see him. What would change in our lives if, if instead of when we grumble, we look and like, oh, yes, I see you. I see you. And I know who you are. I have engaged with you. You have changed me and made me a new person. Now I'm going to act as though I can see you. Right? Because I can. You have done this for me. This is what faith does for us. It changes everything about us. Hebrews 11 is a chapter in which it says that by faith, many accomplished something. It didn't say that by faith they believed. It said that by faith they did. They did works by faith. As though he could, they could see him. Man, Pastor Piro said that faith... Is when we're no longer confined to the limits of our thoughts and your imaginations. And you know what? Instead of that, we're actually set free. Come 
Instead of being confined and trapped in what you can believe and what you can think in your own logic and your own thoughts and your calculations, you are set free because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is a newness and our thoughts are expanded. Faith actually overwhelms our consciousness with like endless potential. Nothing is impossible. Why? Because now I'm able to see the one that is invisible. And I'm able to act as though I could see him. He's right here and I'm going to walk and I'm going to act with that mentality and that conviction. It's that continual lifestyle of prayer. This is how we engage with that invisible God. Let me tell you how it looks for me in my life. As I'm walking and doing everything that I'm doing, I'm starting to grab my father by the hand and grab my master Yeshua by the other hand. And I'm walking as though I could feel him. I'm walking as though I could see him. And every, every word that I speak, every thought that I have, everything that I do is starting to change. It's starting to be uh, moved by actual faith. This is what the disciples learned that they had access to. This is what Yeshua taught. This is how Yeshua taught them to pray. Like my brother Linton, he didn't teach them to recite something. He taught them to pray. He taught them to interact with the invisible God. We got to take a hold of this, brothers. Say, take a hold. Come on. Take a hold of your Bible and turn to Philippians 3, 12. Say full access when you get there. LCM, this is what you have. This is not what we want you to have. This is not what you should have. This is what you have. We said in worship earlier, we have been brought near. You have been made able. You have been brought into the presence of the Father and can have full confidence. Why? Because the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have full access, just like the disciples. They had power. They had authority. And they had full access to go to their father, to engage with him like he is right here, and say, hey, Lord, I know you're here. And that revelation, that conviction has consequences. Because if I know the Lord is here, what can I not do that he's told me to do? If we walk with the conviction that we know he is with us, what can we not do that he's told us to do? He is the father of glory. He literally spoke the earth, spoke the world into being. He formed us in our inmost being. And if he is with me, What do I not have access to? That kind of revelation will cause us to press into affliction. That kind of revelation will cause us to go wherever, to do whatever. Why? Because we have a revelation that makes us seem crazy to the outside world. But we have a revelation of something that is invisible, but more real than what we can see. That is the kind of revelation that Paul had here in Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already attained all this. Or have already been made perfect. He's saying, I haven't been made perfect, but you know what? I know where to go. I know how to get to, I know how to get to perfection, and that is through engaging with my invisible God. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This wasn't even initiated by you. This is not about your diligence and your faithfulness. He took hold of us for this purpose, just like David. God called David from the sheep pen to shepherd Israel. And David responded saying, you know what? Flaws and all, I am godly because you are my father. That is what our God has for us tonight. And that's what's going to take us from one level of glory. And you are killing it. I mean, you are the best version of yourselves that you have ever been right now, right? 
But this is what takes us from one level of glory, from one level of obedience, from one level of faithfulness, from one level of doing the Lord's will to the other level. And that's what we need to go there. Jesus took hold of his disciples because he knew what they would become. He gave them power. He gave them authority in an instant. It wasn't even hard for him. He said, I've given you power and authority. Now go. But he spent his entire ministry teaching them how to access what they have, what's available to them, how to access that, that father that he was showing them about. This is what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about men and women who take hold of that which has been made available to them. That is a, that is a masculine faith. When you are not ashamed, not abashed, to take hold of what, it, of what you have access to. Cho, take hold of what God has for you. Nick Rosales, take hold of what God has for you in this coming season. Take hold of what God is, has, has made available to you, and we're going to walk in a different kind of glory. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in Mark 4, and Spence is about to hit us with it. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 29. And let's say full access when you get there. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and it grows though he doesn't know how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Guys, the farmer, he wakes up with an expectation to go out and scatter seed. That's what he does. He goes to sleep with faith that he knows that there is going to be a harvest that comes even though he has no control over it. He wakes up, goes back to work, and he tends the field, but he does it with an expectation. How excited is the farmer when the seed actually begins to sprout a little bit? Would you look at that? Would you look at it? Look, he couldn't see the work that was being done under the surface. He couldn't see the work that was being done under the soil. But he worked as though he could see it. He worked as though he could, and now the purpose of the seed is being manifested. Look, LCM, fruit has come into your life. There is fruit right now. And there will be fruit to come. Because we have access to attain the faith that we need. Let's turn to Proverbs 29.18. It says this, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. LCM, this is not us. We are becoming ready. We are trained up to see the fruit even when we can't see it yet, (laughs) even when it's not there yet. Our eyes are being opened, not only to see the invisible God, but to see the fruit even when it's not yet visible. They'll see him stand up with us. Like my brother said, stand up in your seats, stand up in your hearts, and stand up in a revelation that you have access to the Father. 
Ephesians 2.18 says, Because through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Point blank period. Through him, we have access. You have access to get to the kind of faith that can literally move mountains. You have access to the kind of faith that can raise godly offspring that will go into those nations and change them. Literally change the world. You have access to it. You have power. You have authority. And we have access to the one that can show us how to use that power and authority to do his will. Church, this is to give you all confidence. This is to give you all boldness. This is to solidify your identity because there is nothing that he has told you to do that cannot be done because we have access to him. Sound booth, please. Uh, Let's go to um, Micah 4, 6. It says, And that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the outcast, even those whom I have afflicted. And I will make the lame into a remnant, and the outcast into a strong nation. Then the Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. Now I know that we're people who are afflicted, that are acquainted with afflictions, acquainted with weaknesses. And that's beautiful. You know why? Because this is the remnant that the Father uses. It says that He will not use the strong. He will use the lame. It says that he won't, find, he won't use the one that finds himself in a perfect place, fully just fulfilled with his life. He says that he will use the outcast. He says that he will not use those who feel like affliction-free. No, indeed, just the opposite. He uses and he gathers those who have been afflicted. Let's go to Micah 5, verse 8. This is what the remnant does. It says, Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations. In the midst of many peoples. Like what? Like a lion among the beasts of the forest. Like a young lion among flocks of sheep. Which tramples and tears as it passes through with no one to rescue them. The reality is our father, our invisible Powerful, almighty father. He doesn't use your strength. He uses his own strength and your own weaknesses. My own weaknesses. How lame I have been. How afflicted I have been. Whenever I felt like a reject. Whenever I felt like I don't belong. You know what he says? No, I will gather you and this is where you belong. He says, hey, you think you're lame? I am making you strong like a lion. I am gathering you up and I'm lifting you up to a place that you have not known before. I am giving you of that which I am. You have sought me. You have sought the invisible God. And guess what? You have found me. Now I will make you a remnant that will go through nations like a lion. Like a lion that tears up his prey. Not being afflicted. You know what the church of the living God does? He presses upon the gates of the enemy. 
They are on offense and it is the enemy that is in the defense position. This is what a lion looks like. He's going out to destroy the enemy. And not only that, that same remnant is the one that builds his household. It's the one that destroys everything that the enemy has done. And it's the one that builds exactly what the father once built. This is the remnant that you, that I, that we are. This is because we were not, we didn't get here by strength. We didn't get here by wisdom. We didn't get here because we had everything together. We got here because we were lame, outcast, and afflicted. This is how we came, and this is what we are becoming. This is what we are right now. We are lions that go and tear up. If the enemy has taken anything from me, I go take it back. I go gather that which has supposedly been lost because he hasn't. I can see. I can see the substance of what I'm hoping for. I can have a conviction of the things that I do not see, and I am going to go for it. When Yeshua taught his disciples to pray, he gave him two specific things, very important things. In Matthew 6, 9, he says something majestic, something revolutionary, something that at the time changed everything about who they were. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Exactly on earth as it is done in heaven. This is what Yeshua taught his disciples to pray. What do you think they felt when he said these words? This was not a thing to pray over ten times so that you, maybe you get somewhere. This was something that, the father, that Yeshua was teaching his disciples so that they knew what was accessible to them. So that they knew that the kingdom of heaven is here and is now. And you and you and I get to devote our lives to see and come. The invisible reality become manifest on earth. Amen. My family, this is who we are. What the Father spoke to us today is that we have absolute access to the power and authority. When by faith... We rise up and we stand and we come before Him. When we start seeing Him as, and acting as though we could see Him. This is what changes lives. This is what is changing my life. This is what changed my family's life. This is what's going to change this nation's life. This is actually the essence of revival. When everything changes because you are able to see that which is unseen. This is who we are. We are lifting our heads from everything that is physical and everything that is perishable. And we're placing our eyes and we're learning to look on that which is unseen. Not only that, we're learning to bring that which is unseen and make it a reality in this place. Hey, if you are with us in this, in this heart, which is the heart of the Father for us today, for our entire lives. If you're ready to behold and to take a hold of that which he has purchased for you by his own blood. Because he went to the cross that we would have access to this that we're preaching about today. Because I am not going to limit my life to the confines of what I think I can do, I cannot do. I am done with that. I know you are too if you're feeling exactly what we're saying right now. You are children of the living God. We are 
a people that go tear up the kingdom of the enemy. This is who we are. So if this is how we're rising up, if these are the lions that we're rising up today, if you're, if you're praying and striving and actually standing on behalf of your children and the nations inside of you, if you want to be that lion, I want you to pray with me. And I want you to pray with the faith that we're talking about. We're not going to lift up words to heaven. We're going to engage and behold our Heavenly Father right now. We're going to come to Him as though you could see Him right now. And you're going to not think about the impossibilities, but think about all the possibilities that are available when we behold our Heavenly Father. Father of glory, we are your people and we are godly. Because you are godly. Because you have made us who we are. Father, in the name of Yeshua, your son. Father, we ask you that you would empower us with a spirit of faith, Father. To be able to see that which we cannot see, Father. Father, I pray that you would give us, Father, the endurance, the perseverance to work, to act as though we could see you in this moment, Father. I ask you that you would give us eyes, that you would give us the ability to see the substance, Father, even though we cannot see him.